0: Hello. Thank you for listening to Odd Virginia. If you enjoy these stories of the weird and wild from around the Commonwealth and you want to hear more, well, I'm here to tell you that you can. Go subscribe to the Odd Virginia YouTube channel. Not only will you find our podcast there, but also extra content, including recent paranormal news within Virginia. Just go to the YouTube channel page, click on playlist, and you'll see all the different types of content that we host there. So thank you in advance for joining us on YouTube. I hope you enjoy the show. Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another wild and wonderful episode of Odd Virginia. My name is Alex Koska, and I will be your host for the show. And today we are going back and covering more high strangeness in the Appalachian Mountains. It's a topic that we covered on last week's episode, and considering the fact that Bill and I just love to talk so much, we didn't end up getting to everything that we had planned. So we're going to go ahead and cover a lot more of that stuff today—more witchy goodness and other strange things that you wouldn't necessarily expect to see in the mountains. Uh, but before we get to Bill's interview, I want to extend an offer anybody else who might have seen some strange things in or around Virginia and would like to share it on the show. You can send us an email at oddvirginia at protonmail.com. That's oddvirginia at protonmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, because here at Odd Virginia,
1: we're ready to believe you.
0: So we are back with Bill.
1: What's going on, everybody? Boy, howdy. Good to see everybody once again.
0: How you been, man? You had an art show last week?
1: Oh, oh my God. I'm still on cloud nine from that on Saturday. It was great. I had a great turnout and everything like that. had friends, family. People came all the way down from like Maryland and stuff. And some people surprised me and just showed up out of nowhere. But uh, it was fantastic. Art still on display down there at Restless Moons in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Go check it out. Buy some pretty paintings.
0: That is Restless Moons in Harrisonburg, Virginia for Dozer's Cosmic Creations, right?
1: Uh, absolutely. And uh, go try the Go's goes Sour Ranger. Uh, 38 years of life. Finally found a beer that I like, and it's amazing. Really? Oh, my God. Not
0: not much of a beer drinker.
1: I hate beer normally, which is hysterical, seeing that my art's on display in a brewery. But this is like a sour like it goes,
0: some I, I don't know. Whatever. Well, it goes as a very different animal from, uh, you know, a wheat beer or something like that.
1: Yeah. But it's red raspberry and black currant and it's uh, a little on the sour side and it's
0: amazing. Nice. Now, down here in Stanton at uh red beer brewery, they do small batch brews and there was some kind of oatmeal raisin cookie beer that they did one time. Absolutely delightful. But you know, it's so, it's so sweet. You ju- You just do one glass of that. Yeah. But, I would try that absolutely ooh, I loved it. Uh, I'm not sure if they still make that beer i w- I hope they do, but I don't really go out drinking all that often
1: i would I would hundred percent uh one evening after one of our podcast recordings be willing to check that out before or after either way.
0: That sounds like a good plan, but we'll definitely we'll definitely get into uh planning out our excursions once we get through some of the stuff that I had to cut out of last episode because there was it would have ended up being a three hour long episode. And not very many people listen to a three hour long podcast. This isn't this isn't Rogan. We unfortunately had to edit out a little snippet of your story that I like to entitle the lights over Sugar Grove. So set us up for that. What was going on?
1: So me and Clint were hanging out down at home quarry. Uh, and just decided to make a day of it, just hung out. There's a great covered shelter there. We made a little fire, roasted some hot dogs, sipped on some whiskey, and had a great time. And if you go a little bit past Tone Quarry, you go up the mountain to Reddish Knob, which is part of uh, George Washington National Forest, and it's where the old fire tower used to be, where they could overlook the, almost the whole valley. From up there, you can see Bridgewater and Dayton. You can see Harrisonburg, uh, Broadway, Uh, You can see Pendleton County in West Virginia. You can see Sugar Grove. Uh, You can see all over. It's one of the highest points.
0: You're way up there. Oh, yeah. And is this if you keep on going down Briarby Branch past Home Quarry?
1: Yeah, you just keep on going. It starts instead of, you know, how it's all flat there at Home Quarry. It starts to go up and you go past the little lake. And then you keep going and you keep going. And there's a cutoff to the left. And uh, it's open to the public, guys. But if you're in a car... You need to go up during the day because they do not maintain that road where they're crap. And there's a lot of big potholes, easily break a tire rod end or something like that, blow out a tire. Uh, and best case scenario, be in a, a decent four by four with thick tires because it gets it's dicey up there and it gets a little narrow. And one side straight down and the other side's a rock face. So just be careful going up there. But so we went up there. It started to get dark. So we tore down everything that we had set up through the camping chairs and everything in the back of the Bronco. Started going up. We got up there. Um, another fun fact is uh, it's not always the most populated place, but when it's populated in the evening, it's normally young couples. And we uh, startled a, a young couple that was uh, not exactly in their vehicle.
0: Well, it's one of those lover's
1: points kind of uh, It's a beautiful place to do a lot of beautiful things. And let's just leave it at
0: that. Yeah, flying kites and stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, holding hands and hugs Skipping. and mouth hugs. Anyway, (laughs) so we're up there, we're hanging out and we're just looking at the, you can see all the, all the cities, uh, all the lights of the city, I should say, facing the Virginia side. And you can't really see crap facing the West Virginia side because it's all trees and woods and everything, but it's really, so... I don't know how many video gamers and everything like that we have out there. I know that, like, me and Alex are fairly avid, nerdy people and, like, video games and everything. But it's a place where you can literally go and look and see about a quarter of Fallout 76 map, but in real life. Okay. Um, And part of the things it overlooks is the area that is Sugar Grove's military base that's there, which now has an NSA spot in its place, which... uh, they talk about, but they don't really talk about. But if you Google it, it shows where the NSA location is and everything like that.
0: Okay. And is this one of those sort of hideaway places if things were starting to go bad, say, with Russia and everybody need to evacuate D.C., that's where they would go?
1: So there's always been rumors, um, you know, a very popular place that was... Uh, what, what did you call it last time? A dumb?
0: Yeah, the deep underground military base.
1: Yeah, I'd never heard that before until we talked last time. But it was the Greenbrier. It was this giant, like, huge resort that they had modified underneath to make a huge underground city that would support Congress and Senate and the President and the White House and, like, all the chiefs of staff and most of the Pentagon and all of their all their personal staff and families if— Crap ever hit the fan, they were going to the greenbrier because it was far enough away from DC that if there was a radiological attack on DC, uh, no matter which way the wind was blowing because of the mountain structure and everything, it wouldn't hit the greenbrier. Um, it also had air filtration and everything to support for I think it was like 10 years. Wow. It's crazy. Um, there's been rumors that up there in them hills, uh, there's there's underground bunkers, whether it's you hear everything from like being a dumb, a deep underground military base. Learning new vernacular if oh, you're, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Getting yeah, so, so smart. smart, so smart, so making my West Virginia family proud. These fancy words, uh, but you know that there's potentially a dumb. Uh, that there is like air base underground. Wow. Uh, and because, as Alex said, uh, this story gets to where we saw lights. So we're standing there and we're we're just kind of taking a look at things. We're using like the roof of the Bronco and the hood of the Bronco to like do super still long exposures with our cell phones, taking photos of the night sky and everything like that in the direction of West Virginia. Away from the lights of the cities and the towns of Bridgewater, Dayton and City Harrisburg and everything. Trying to get away from that light pollution, just getting some cool shots of distinct uh, different constellations and everything like that. And, you know, the couple left, and then it's just me and Clint up there. Uh, and we're sitting there. I, I look over towards the direction of Sugar Grove, which it's pretty much all shut down now. In fact, I think at one point it was for sale for like a million dollars. You could buy the town. Wow. You know, it has its own bowling alley, own theater. The whole town was like a million dollars. I actually, back when I was still... Uh, more active in the MAGFest community tried to convince MAGFest that we should just buy the town
0: yeah make a MAGFest town
1: just make MAGTown like just we hold our events there it's still like two two and a half hours from DC you know um, there's train, there's trains that come into Stanton from DC that's a, like a 90 minute drive Ride on the train, you know. There's there's a lot, there was a lot of reasons why I thought it could be a fun idea. Oh yeah. Uh, plus having your own town.
0: And it's a steal at that well, price,
1: right? And then like renting it out for other conventions and like festivals and stuff like that. But now there's an NSA base over there. Um, there's also not far away from there a radio telescope, so it's a radio, it's a radio dead zone. There's no cell phone. There's no there's no cellular devices. There's no radio signals. There's nothing. It's it's completely land line hardwired based system cool uh which i think is really cool too uh because you let you that's what i like about my property in west virginia is you can unplug and detach you know and there's landlines there so in case of emergency you can dial out someone can reach you whatever uh but anyway so there, there's, there's just nothing so i'm looking over there and i'm like what am i I'm ADD as crap, as you guys listening sometimes could probably tell from the little tangents I go on to when me and Alex are talking and stuff. But all of a sudden, on the corner of my eye, I'm like, whoa, what was that? And I'm looking, I'm like, oh, you know, there's always planes flying over and everything. Not like low, but like, you know, you slow little blinking red lights and everything and seeing some jets and stuff like that. Nothing crazy. But this, this wasn't that. This was... Like, at the tree edge, and then it shot, like, straight up in the air. This just solid red light. And then it shot off to the right. And then it shot off to the left. And then it was going at, like, angles. And then it was, like, hovering around doing all kinds of different, like, hard 90-degree turns and everything like that. But, like, it was really, really high above the tree edge. And, like, a you know, first thing you think now in this day and age, drone. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, you know, someone's out there with a drone. And those are me and Clint are watching. And then we're watching this thing and it's getting higher and higher and higher above the tree edge. You know, like a good drone go like a quarter of a mile. Um, But good God, like we're on a mountain and we're looking kind of down at a valley. And we're looking up at the red light at, at some point. I'm like, man, that's that's like, I mean, it's it's entirely possible it could have been a military drone. But like nothing civilian based getting that high, not without like some type of licensing and stuff like that. And some serious, serious custom built stuff. And like, it was just going so fast and it was going all over the place. And then I'm like, I'm like, Clint, get over here. Look at this thing. And like, the more and more we're paying attention to it, the more and more we're like this, this, this ain't, we don't think there's a drone. Cause like it's coming towards us, it's going away from us, it's going left, it's going right, it's going up, down, and like man, the thing was flying around for like two hours, wow. We're just watching this thing, and it's just going every direction you can think of. Um, it's going, and I mean, it's going far away from the origin point where I saw it. Cause like when I first saw it, I was like, "What is this?" And I call Clint over. I'm like, "Come look at this." And I just stick my arm out. I'm like, "Put your head on my shoulder and just look right down the tip of my finger." Okay, look where my finger is pointing. My finger is right at it. And so I leaned my head over to the left so he could put like his head on like right over my shoulder and use my finger like a spot and scope. And he's like, okay, I see it. I'm like, just watch. And that's when I just started going crazy and start going every direction and everything. It was almost like the damn thing could tell we were watching it. It was so far away that like our cell phones, you know, in the middle of the night really couldn't pick up a good, cause you know, like, I don't know, my hands aren't always the stillest thing because i have like i said bad adhd and i drink a lot of caffeine so like not the most conducive for like trying to hold a cell phone camera zoomed in that far to try to pick up something at night so it's i just difficult
0: it. as it is anyway with the cell phone filming at night
1: yeah um so i mean i couldn't get good footage of it or anything but it was it was just crazy and like i said it went on for probably like about 2 hours we got up there at about 9 the things started probably flying around about like 10 10:30 and I think we finally grew tired of it and left at probably about
0: like midnight. And so it was still in the sky when you were leaving.
1: Yeah. It, and it kept doing like weird stuff. Like it kept on like buzzing the treetops. Like it would, it would just all of a sudden do like a dive towards the trees and then pop back and then, and then swoosh back up at the last second and stuff like that. Um, and it wasn't like we could see past the trees. It wasn't like it was like an open field where someone would have, you know, which would have been conducive for someone wanting to fly a drone, uh, you know, having an open area to land and everything like that. It was in a heavily wooded area uh, right around the Sugar Grove base and where the NSA uh, the NSA station is and everything like that, too. Funnily enough true story about the NSA station and Sugar Grove is the way the clo- crow flies. Is if you're going up I eighty one from Harrisonburg, and that's Interstate eighty one North, and you go up, and you're around a little bit past Mount Jackson. If you're going north, you're going to look to your left. And you're going to see all these huge satellite dishes. That's the internet. That's one of the East Coast international uh, calling hubs that connects to satellites and uh, connect, connecting calls uh, to Europe and uh, and Africa, uh, mostly Europe. And, uh, and the way the crow flies, uh, directly across from that on the other side of the mountain is NSA station and, uh, and a military base where all radio traffic is, is, is blacked out. Uh, so there's no signals that it can pick up, but boy, howdy, if there was, if there was dishes pointed in the direction of that call up, they could listen to everything. Yeah. So, but no, I mean, the thing went on, like I said, like two, two and a half hours, Crazy lights going all over the place, all over the sky. Just one, um, but man, it was it was just wild. And uh, you know, I can't say it was I can't say it was little green men or anything like that. But it was a hundred percent an and unidentified flying
0: object. From your perspective, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, could you tell how big it was?
1: All I could see was the red blinking lights.
0: Um, so it was blinking. It was a flashing
1: periodically. It would. F- flat well i said blinking i the red lights um it was it was pretty much pretty much always on every once in a while it pulsed like a little bit but not much but it was mainly a solid uh red light um sometimes it would turn in an angle or it would almost looked like there was two but i couldn't really tell if that was just the angle it was at or if it was if it was just something something weird uh, do you how fast was this thing flying around? Good God. It was going so fast. It was zooming. I'm, it it was it would zoom straight up. It would take a 90-degree turn and zoom off to the left. It would take, you know, it would zoom down 90 degree turn to the right. It would go at angles. Uh there was no rhyme or reason to the direction it was going or anything that like I could see from our end, but it was just fast. It was like it was like watching a cat chase a laser pointer, but like in us we're the cat and this was the laser pointer. It was going incredibly fast.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it does sound like it could be very well at some sort of drone technology. Uh it's really just up to speculation. I I would say that's pretty darn weird.
1: Yeah. I mean it was it was there's it was definitely something I wasn't expecting. It wasn't something I was looking for. It was actually something funnily enough I had joked around like, Oh, we're gonna be up here home by ourselves and we're gonna see some weird shit or something. And then like there's. was Oh, I, I predicted our own little future.
0: Well, if anybody else out there listening has seen odd lights flying around the Sugar Grove area, uh, go ahead and put a comment if you're watching on one of our video platforms, or you can send an email to oddvirginiaprotonmail.com. See if anybody else has seen something like that. That'd be pretty cool to see. That's an invitation for anyone who's seen something like that, or around any military base who's seen something like that. So sorry to butt in here. This is editing mode, Alex. After Bill and I were done talking, he actually sent me a link to a documentary that was made back in 2005 by Real Earth Productions. And this is a short documentary about UFOs in Hardy County, West Virginia, which is exactly the place where he had his sighting. So I'm going to go ahead and play a clip here for you guys from that documentary, just as a bit of corroboration that there is something weird going on in the skies out there.
2: I came out on the deck here, and I heard a jet, which was way up in the sky. It was so far, I just barely could see it, but I could hear a faint sound of the jet. And I glanced to the right, where I saw an object coming down on a downgrade, and it was all silver. It was a funny looking thing I never saw before. Then I heard another jet coming from, I guess it's over here, it's the east, coming this way, and this object went to the right on the top of those trees, and that's when I called to my friend John and I told John, "I said, John, look over there, right? He said, look over there. I looked the built them two trees and there was there, there was a uh, silver dome just, just, just was spinning on the bottom and the top was just standing still." There was a jet fly over the top and there was another one tried to intercept it but both of them couldn't get it so it came down and stood right there and after they, they couldn't fire they, it, they left and he took shot over the mountain and it was gone. The top was steel, it was a dome shape, the body was uh, round, the bottom was flat, the base of it was spinning around. The bottom of it was just, the bottom section was just spinning around and spin. No noise, no windness, or no nothing. But I was standing on the deck, but this thing, I don't know, it just got me so excited, I didn't even think about the camera, I was just looking at it. And I could have got the camera right off there in a second, but it just happened so quick. I couldn't believe my own eyes, and it was just different. It do something to you when you see something like that, special, with no noise and things flying and then it's turning. But no windows, no sound, no nothing. No wheels or no nothing. It was just there. Last night I looked out here, outside the porch about 9.30, and I seen an orange light up in the sky. All the rest of the, uh, the stars was clear, right? And I seen an orange light, and the orange light just stood still for so long. I didn't know what it was. did he see it coming this way. He saw it going behind the trees. Because when I first saw it coming this way, I couldn't even holler tell him until it get ready to turn. When he turned, I said, John, look between the trees, see that UFO? And he looked there, he saw it. And he hasn't been the same since.
0: Once again, that was UFOs in Hardy County, West Virginia First Hand Accounts of Strange Phenomena, a documentary by Real Earth Productions in 2005. And I just went ahead and checked out the. YouTube page of Real Earth Productions to see what they're up to. And it seems like, for the most part, it's small amateur documentaries like the one that I just played that clip from, as well as some filming for country music acts, possibly local acts in the area. I didn't really look into it that much, but uh, it seems like there might be some pretty interesting documentaries on there. The UFO in Hardy County was certainly a a good watch, although I'm sure you heard that music at the beginning. That kind of plays throughout, and it is very dated music. But aside from that, great stories all around, and the locality aspect of it is very intriguing. So let's get back to the interview. So that was the story that you had told last week that we unfortunately had to cut out, so I'm glad we finally got a chance to include that on another episode. Uh, And we're going to move on to some more of the uh, high strangeness in the Appalachians, uh, other people's stories that I've been able to gather All right, so we're going to get into some of the witchy aspects that we didn't really cover. Ricky gave us a pretty good little primer last episode, uh, but there's a much, much weirder witchcraft going on in the Appalachians. One in particular that I found extremely uh, intriguing was the Tales of Witch Bullets. Do you know what those are? Witch Bullets? No. Well, according to the people of the Appalachians... A witch bullet is like a tumbleweed, a ball of hair that rolls through your house. And if you touch it, you're basically cursed. Bad, bad things are coming your way. And apparently it is uh, something that is sent by a witch to a family that she doesn't particularly like. And I've heard this story several times uh, just doing my research, and I just thought that was the coolest thing. You see a ball of hair rolling through your home. Do not touch it.
1: I'm screwed. Charlie does this all the time to me.
0: Yeah, well, he's he is a ball of hair, that cat. <laughs> he's a big ball of hair, too. So, yeah, the witch bullets were something really cool. But then there's a couple of other less nefarious ones uh, that I also wanted to to get into a little bit. And this is just me recounting them very quickly. Um, there are some people out in the mountains who claim to be able to stop bleeding with their just the touch of their hand. Uh, and that's a, that's a pretty common one, as well as uh, the folks who can talk fire out of burns. And these people will also touch a burn person with their hand and whisper to that burn, basically, and rub it. And the burn will still be there, but it won't hurt anymore. It just completely takes all the heat out of the burn.
1: Where has these people been all my life? Because
0: I am a sissy. Yeah, I could definitely use that myself. So those are two of the really common ones that we didn't cover last time. But the one that's intrigued me the most, and I've actually mentioned this on an episode way, way back, the witches who can milk the handle of an axe. And so I actually clipped, uh, well, I've reached out to some uh, other YouTubers who tell stories about these sorts of things, who collect Appalachian stories, and I didn't get a response. So I just went ahead and on Jared King TV's YouTube channel. I have to give him the credit for this because he is a wonderful storyteller and he's going to present us with one of these stories of the milk coming out of the axe handle. So let's go ahead and toss it over to uh, Jared King TV.
3: Another story I heard was a long time ago. Said this man Said he's walking through the hills, going to his sister's, which now back in there, most people had to walk pretty much everywhere they went. And now they said this was pretty good distance, mighty good distance through the mountains. Well, said he even took a shortcut. Well, said he took a different path. Well, said when he's walking up through there, said he come up on this old house. Said he's about to starve to death. Said middle of summer it's hot and muggy so he walked up there and hollered nobody answered so he walked up there and knocked well i said this little woman come to the door he told her excuse me ma'am i'm sorry he said, it's, it's lord it's hot and i've been walking from going to my sister's and, you know it's kind of explained to her where you know what he's what he was doing and he told her i said ma'am he said i'm about to i'm about to starve to death and thirsting to death and i was wondering if i might be able to Ablaze me with a something to drink and maybe a little bite to eat if you got it. So she looked at him and said, "Well, I tell you what. So I need a couple of things done around here, so if you'll give me, if you'll help me do a few things around here, cut me a little wood and things like this, and I'll make you something to eat, give you a big old glass of cold milk." He said, "Lord have mercy!" so that just made his day right there instantly. I "Said yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am." I said she had a dish rag thrown over her shoulder. She told him, she "Said come on in." Well, said so they walked in, went to the kitchen, straight into the kitchen. Well, said that uh, she told him, she "Said there's a little bit of wood over there. Won't you bust me up some kindling, and get a fire going?" Because back then, you people had to use wood cook stoves. Well, I said he's over there. Said she, but well, she walked out, she grabbed the axe. Well, he said he had it. She had a little hatchet like thing There said so he was using it to bust up the kennel. So he thought, well, she might need a few of the bigger pieces to cut up. Well said as she walked as he walked to the doorway there, said he noticed she had walked out to an old post that was sticking out in the backyard. Said so she took that dish rag that was over her shoulder, just draped it over the top of it. And she took that axe and just chopped the top of it. And left the axe sticking in it. Well, it says she put a bucket down there at the bottom, and says she waved her hand, and started saying a few things, and she started the mashing and wringing out that that wash rag. Well, said as she did, it said, gobs and globs of milk poured out of that wash rag in that bucket. It scared him half to death, and he didn't know what in the world to do. Said the only thing he know to do was hightail it. He said he'd run. he run, and said he run as hard as he could go. Another thing about mountain witches when they would bewitch somebody is now I've always heard them hear a tale that said that uh, if you had cows, said they put a uh, put a curse on you said that your cows all the milk would turn to blood. So when that happens, a lot of folks would have to take, go out, dig a hole. Then so they'd have to pour that milk in that hole. Sometimes they'd use one of their cards, remember that Bible verse on it. Then so they'd take like some coal oil, old lamp oil, stuff like that, pour in it, and set it on fire. To get the cows, to get that spell broke, to counter, counter do it there. And so that way the
0: cows would go back to giving good milk. So once again, that clip comes courtesy of Jared King TV. And I just love that guy's southern drawl. He can really tell a story. Tell a tale.
1: Oh, my God. I loved it. That's wild, man. Yeah. I don't know if I drink milk out of an axe handle, though.
0: Yeah, that's that's some uh, nefarious witchery, apparently, because I've heard in the past that when a witch does milk an axe handle like that, they're taking it out of the neighbor's cows.
1: I don't trust milk out of anything that doesn't have nipples.
0: I wouldn't either. <laughs> That's, there's something unnatural about it. That's also why I don't eat boneless chicken. I don't trust a chicken that doesn't have bones. What kind of mutant freak chicken is that? <laughs> but yeah, if you guys like stories like that, Jared King TV's YouTube channel is chock full of them. He has so many stories he's collected over the years, and he tells them very well. Uh, so yeah, go check his channel out. Give him a sub. Tell him I sent you. Maybe maybe he'll, uh, he'll answer next time I reach out. Um But there's... A bit of corroboration to that story uh, that I ended up finding on another channel. It's a YouTube channel called the Augusta Heritage Center of Davis and Elkins College, and they have made uh, you know witchcraft documentaries coming from firsthand recounts of people up in the hills. So let's go ahead and get over to that uh, a clip of that video as well. Here we are again with the axe milking. Now I've
4: been. Dust Camp Country, there's two old witches lived up there. Mary Lynch, they said she was a good witch. They didn't have enough milk for their uh, dinner one day, and she took a dish rag and wrung milk out of it for, for their lunch.
3: And Dad worked way up the
4: Rich Mountain there, and he said, There's a woman cooked, and they never had no cow, but she always had milk. It, there's cracks in the floor, and he looked down, and she was milking a towel. She's getting
3: milk. One day, he come out there, and she's sitting out there. She's a milking a, t- uh, a, a towel, actually milking a cow, and said you had a bucket full of milk just around that towel. So, see, that, that made Mr. Pittenberger more than ever believe in this switch business.
4: And her name was Uni Conard. At that time, she was about 100 years old. But she lived to be 114 before she died. I remember of seeing that old lady just very dimly and the picture I have of her sitting on a little old porch on the side of their house with a bonnet on her head and her eyes closed this sitting there. And she was supposed to be a witch. She had two grandsons. And they always went to visit the Groves boys. The grandson's names was Everett and Earl, and the Groves boys' names were Brooks and Arch. But the Groves boys would never go back because they had heard about Aunt Unity's witchcraft. But this night they did. They went home with the boys to stay all night. And uh, they were all sitting around the fire talking. Aunt Unity sitting there in front of the fire in her rocking chair. Ethel came in. The granddaughter Ethel, and she said, Granny, we don't have no milk for supper. And she said, Mm-hmm. So directly she come back and she said, Granny, we need that milk now. Mm-hmm, she said. She gets up and walks out, and as she goes by the stove, she takes a dish rag from the top of the stove, throws it over her shoulder. There was a hand axe sitting by the door, one bit of axe, and she picked that up And she also gets a bucket that holds about 10 quarts. And she goes out around the log cabin to the dark side on the back side. And she puts that dishcloth across the end of the log. And with a good hefty swing, she puts that axe into that dishcloth. And after that, she twisted the dishcloth and set the bucket down under it, squatted down put her knees down on the ground so she was comfortable, and sit there, and Arch Crows was watching her. He had followed her, and he said she milked the 10-quart bucket of milk out of the log and picked it up and went in the house. And he said, we're going up the hill. Brooks caught up with me, and I told him what I saw. And Brooks said, I saw all that went on in the house, and I saw just what you saw in there. You just got to see her milk the dishrag right more and I got to see But boy, I'm glad we didn't stay for supper. And they never did go back anymore. They stayed away from there.
0: So there we have basically the same uh, witchy practice. However, there are a couple of little variations on the uh, overall method. But yeah, that's tons of corroboration for something that is entirely supernatural, it sounds.
1: To go pure Appalachian boy, howdy.
0: Yeah, There's is, some strange things up in them hills. This is no David Blaine magic, that's for sure.
1: Who drinks that much damn milk at dinner?
0: Them hills? Them people in them hills. Yeah, the hillbillies, man. Like like a good bucket of milk with dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Squeezed straight from the wash rack. <laughs> yes, it's the, one of the wildest things I've ever heard. I had to cover that on the episode. That's amazingly crazy. I have one more from the Augusta Heritage Centers of Davis and Elkins College. That is a mouthful. Uh, This is regarding the Witch Bullets, so let's listen to that real quick.
1: Oh, yeah, I want to hear this.
3: Used to be an old fellow who lived down here. He believed in that stuff. I mean, he was, I don't know. Come up here one day and he told me, he said... uh, Somebody had my cow a witch, said she just rolled over down there and just kind of tumbled and rolled. And I said, well, I said, did he look to see if there's any yellow jacket nests around there? No. He said, it was a witch. said, I heard the
2: witch balls hit the cow. Well, now, I was in a
4: woman's house one time, and she kept hauling there's a ball of hair going through the house. Hairballs do hair can just appear like a, I would say, kind of like a tumbleweed for some reason. Uh, to me, a hairball, to see a hairball is like a curse. I don't know what it means to other people, but that's the way I grew up believing that there was something there behind that hairball being sent to you. Because you don't let your hair get out of your possession. That's your power.
3: And if it hits it hurts hurt you. But we always got back and got the witch ball and throw it in the fire. Oh, I said Mary.
4: I said, what for ball of hair, is it? Well, she said, you just set still and you'll see it go through the house. Well, I, she was sitting, like, over there, and I was sitting over here. Right now, a ball
3: of hair went through between us. They'd take their own hair and uh, make a ball, and if it hits it hurts hurt you. They talk about these hairballs, and uh, I think that's what they're referring to. When they talked about a witch bullet. The same thing. It's actually not a lead bullet. It's something that... Uh, Made out of hair. These red
1: marks on his legs. Mm-hmm. He said that's where the witches had shot him. And they had these red, like, I don't know, welts or whatever on his leg. And they wasn't accusing him of being a witch. They was actually saying that the witch actually shot them. Shot
4: them? You, uh, you didn't cut your baby's fingernails or your baby's hair unless you took it out and buried it in a hole where nobody knew so that the evils couldn't get a hold of it and curse your baby. Things like that. That's how I was raised, and I still don't have a problem with it. I did the same thing with my grandchildren and my children. Your hair is something powerful.
0: The ball of hire.
1: I like the lady that sounded like she was peeing the whole time. (laughs) It was her water fountain.
0: (laughs) Yeah, she had, it wasn't on camera, but there's definitely like some kind of little trickling water thing, maybe for cats or something. You know how those they make those filtration watering things for I cats. I got one for Charlie. Yeah, I've got one for Spoon too. But the pumps on those things—I've been through two of them. They, the pumps on those things tend to go out pretty quickly.
1: You got to clean those filters like once a week, or just the filter for the pump, uh, or it just jams up. Yeah, Charlie's dumbass sticks his whole head in the fountain. <laughs> And so then it gets clogged up with hair all the time. I'm cleaning the damn thing all the time. That's it's probably why mine's lasted like two years. It's because I always have to clean it because he's a goober. That or it's a witch bullet getting in the water fountain.
0: It could be a witch bullet clogging up your water fountain. Obviously, that lady didn't have a witch bullet clogging hers, but I might. If you didn't know any better, you'd probably need a steak spoon for a ball of hair.
1: You know what? Spoon's a ball
0: of hair for sure. Yeah, she is. She's a little floppy ball of hair. She's a little battle cat. So uh, moving on to some more strangeness, I was able to dig up a couple of uh, stories on Reddit. And so I'm just going to go ahead and read those and you can share your thoughts if you'd like. Or you can not share your thoughts if you don't like. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man.
1: I've never been known as one to be that quiet boy.
0: All right. So the first story I, I was able to gather is called The Appalachian Witch. And it was posted on r slash backwards Creepy. I usually like to look into the user uh, before reading their stories just so I can see whether or not they're like some sort of budding creepypasta author who's just trying to post something online to, to you know, see if they can trick anyone. Right? There are a lot of people on, on this website who do that. But this particular, particular user uh, has a deactivated account. So I wasn't able to look at their post history. However, if you check the comments on this particular post, Uh, They do respond to a lot of questions, and it sounds as if they are at least trying to seem like they did indeed experience this. So I'm just going to read the story and let everyone make up their own minds as to whether or not this could possibly be true. And the story goes, This was the most terrifying moment of my life, and always will be. My family and a family friend's family were going on a hiking trip in the Appalachian Mountains. We had rented cabins at a camping site and had arranged certain paths to follow each day of our trip, uh, which was going to be four days long that we would walk each day. The first three days went great. We saw wildlife and had a good time and talked a lot. But on the fourth day, we were taking a trail that was more secluded and overgrown than others. We were walking for about 30 minutes when I was hit with this overwhelming feeling of uneasiness. The feeling just stayed there, no matter how hard I tried to beat it back. Then... And everyone else on the hike denies this. I hear singing in a language that I've never heard before. It's like the singing described in the myth of the sirens, sweet and enchanting. Yet the music invoked a feeling of fear down to my bones. Everyone else seems completely oblivious to it. I tried telling my dad that something was wrong, but he just told me I was probably tired and that we would stop soon. And the singing kept getting louder, and my heart was racing. We had stopped to rest and eat something as well. I wish with all my heart that we hadn't stopped About two minutes into our little rest The singing's still getting progressively louder But my nerves have settled slightly Then everything fell silent Everyone in our group, about twelve people Suddenly turned to the trees on our left A figure, tall and in a black cloak Was barely visible between the trees It was a woman, much taller than the normal people are With pure white hair flowing out of her hood Her head was down, and her face was still slightly visible. All I can make out is that her skin was a very pale yellow, like old paper. As we watched, she just stalks closer to our group, finally stopping right at the edge of the trees. She looked up, and I swear to God, as long as I live and breathe, I will never forget her face. Her eyes were completely white, with no pupils or irises visible. She had a thin, pointed nose, and a mouth with lips that were stained red. I don't want to know why. She stared at us for a moment and then smiled. It was horrifying. She had no teeth and her eyes began to shine. She then began to talk. She had a horrible, scratchy, high-pitched voice and said, Leave this place while you still can. I'll be watching you. Don't try anything. I blink and she's gone. Everyone is silent. This is my first time telling this story to anyone else who didn't experience this with me. And I never discuss it with anyone who did experience it with me. It feels good to share this experience with someone. So that was the story of the Appalachian Witch. There is something in there that kind of makes me doubt the story a little bit. And that was what the witch said. It seemed a little canned, if you know what I mean. She. It
1: sounded like a description of... Krera from Knights of the Old Republic 2. I never
0: played the second Knights of the Old Republic. <sighs> Sorry. 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 Sorry to say. I did really like the first one.
1: But she has like no eye. Like her eyes are all glazed over. and She's like long flowing white hair, hooded Jedi. Like it's just it sounded just like the second I started hearing it, I was like,
0: I, I got to get the name right. Yeah. that That description was incredibly creepy. But when she said... Uh, leave this place while you still can. I'll be watching you. Don't try anything. It's, it feels like a, it feels like that was written, uh, as opposed to something that, a witch would actually say, I think, I'm not going to say that story is true or false. I wasn't there. I'm not judging, but it was an interesting little piece. Yeah, no, I
1: mean, definitely, uh, hit on some notes of creepiness. Uh, oh, for sure. But like you said, the, the reply seemed a little canned.
0: It did. Yeah. So that, that is what it is. If you did really experience that out there, user, deleted user, whoever you are, sorry that happened. Man. <laughs> it just sounds, it just sounds utterly terrifying. Um, and it's one of those tropes. Whenever uh, people see things in the woods that are scary like that, you hear this time and time again, they will never talk about it with the people who are there with them very often. Yeah. So the next story I, I dug up. This one is called "Why I Don't Backpack Solo Anymore," and this one also comes from the Backwoods Creepy subreddit. You shouldn't backpack solo anyway. I've done it a few times. It's pretty nice, oh, man.
1: No, not without my gun at least.
0: Yeah, I've you know I've had second thoughts now about going out unarmed and. Uh, when I do backpack solo, it's like Appalachian Trail season, right? So there are still plenty of other hikers out there. Yeah,
1: there is, but that's also where a bunch of the Proud Boys went and hid for a while while they were on the on uh, while the FBI was looking for. Really? Yeah, there's a whole thing like the the main leader that was like speaking out again. Well, I'm not trying to get political on the show, but there there's been some bad people that I've known to hide out on the Appalachian Trail. Oh, too. I'm
0: sure people do hide out on the Appalachian Trail. Absolutely. Like that's one one good way of uh avoiding detection as you're you're saying
1: well that and like there's all the little hostel cabins along the way and like just little like lean twos and stuff like that that you can get shelter and stuff and like half-ass it if you don't have all your own gear Mm
0: -hmm. yeah oh yeah there's plenty of shelters like every 10-13 miles yeah all right so why i don't backpack solo anymore this happened last year in virginia and is also the reason why i never backpack solo anymore i was taking summer courses at the time and we ended up with a three-day weekend in june so I thought it was a great time to go explore some of the Virginian wilderness and all. I did a Google search, found a state park with a trail that looked nice, and let my roommate and my family know the trail that I was going to be on. When I got close to the park area, I saw a little outdoor shop where people hiking the Appalachian Trail stop. I went to grab a map of the area, just in case I got lost. As I was talking to the owner, he mentioned a trail that's not well-known and that has a pretty cool waterfall and swimming hole. This piqued my interest, so I had him show me on the map. It took me outside the state park, but he said it was a great place to go. I paid for the map, thanked the owner. I texted my roommate and parents about the new trail and parked my car and set off on my adventure. I should note that the waterfall was going to be a side trip from my journey. I was planning three days, two nights. I started on part of the Appalachian Trail, and it was pretty packed with people, and some of them were really fun to talk to. As expected, I got further and further from the main trails, and I saw less and less people. About early afternoon, three miles away from my destination, I noticed it was unnaturally silent. No birds, no bugs, not even wind, and I had a feeling of being watched. I shook it off as me overanalyzing the situation. I got to the waterfall, and it wasn't too spectacular, but it was cool to look at. Plus, it had a good size area to swim in, so naturally I stripped down to my skivvies and took a dip. It was pretty refreshing. As I was getting my clothes back on, I started whistling to myself. It was it was chill Bill because it was stuck in my head. Bill, do you know what chill Bill is? I do not. Oh, well, I was thinking that might be your music project.
1: <laughs> my
0: underground punk Scott is. <laughs> chill Bill, dude. Uh, where were we? Uh, <clears throat> That's when I heard something whistle the same tune back. I thought it was a bird copying me, so I went back and forth with it and repeated whatever I whistled. I thought it was pretty neat. As I was setting up camp, I couldn't shake this feeling that I was being watched again, like I'd get goosebumps and my hairs would stand up. As night fell, I built a small fire and lit my jet boil to make some dinner, and as I did this, I became hyper-aware that again there was no sound, just deafening silence. Some part of my brain was telling me that I'm not safe and to leave, I ignored it and crawled into my tent with my flashlight and book. I went to sleep without incident. When I woke up the next morning, my sight was trashed. My camp stool was nowhere to be found. My bear bag with my food was cut down and the contents were thrown all across the site. My first thought was that a really crafty animal had chewed through the rope and got at the bag, but I looked at the rope and it was cut with something very sharp. Plus, none of the food was even touched. I also noticed bare footprints all around my campsite. Keep in mind that I'm at least six to eight miles from any road. As I was looking at the mess, I heard a branch snap off in the distance, and I turned to look in that direction. I saw nothing, but I heard that whistling again. My whistle from yesterday, but it was different, sounded more sinister. It made my hair stand on end, and this is when I listened to my instincts to get the hell out. It sounded like it was a little off in the distance, so I packed up my camp as fast as I could. The whistling got closer as I finished stuffing the tent into my bag. I didn't bother with putting anything away properly. The whistling was incessant and sounded like it was coming from all directions. I got fed up with the whistling sound, stood, and yelled into the woods, Shut up! And what the F do you want? It stopped whistling. It repeated what I said in my voice. It sounded just like me, but distorted, like it came from an old TV. After I heard this, I immediately threw my pack on and ran the direction I came from. I heard it moving just behind me fast switching between a whistle and my voice it felt like it was toying with me not coming too close but not being too far eventually it sounded like it got further and further away from me then it stopped suddenly when it stopped i stopped and turned around i wish that i didn't because i heard the most bone chilling screech ever coming from right next to me that's when i started running again i didn't look i only ran Less than half a mile, I ran into a couple that was also backpacking. They saw the look of terror in my face, and asked if, it was, if that was me that screamed, and asked if I was okay. I told them about what happened, and they decided not to go down there. We moved to a more populated trail as quickly as we could. As soon as I got back in my car, I drove to one of the park ranger's stations and reported what happened. Since the site was off park grounds, they told me it wasn't in their jurisdiction, but they'll send a ranger to investigate. The ranger station's parking lot runs right up to the woods. When I was getting into my Jeep, I heard the chill bill tune coming from the woods just in front of me. I never drove so fast in my life. When told my roommate why I was back after only one night, all he said was, bro, I'm never going camping with you.
1: Yeah, no, the hell with that. No. No, 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 no why well, you don't go out there by yourself, ladies and gentlemen.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's one of those things uh, that likes to mess with people in the forest. Uh, you'll, you'll ha- every now and then have something whistling towards you. Like in Mexican tradition, they have uh, lechusa or la llorona,
1: la llorona. Uh-huh. Yeah,
0: my llorona. And those are things that whistle at you and mess with you, and some say kidnap you. A Sasquatch are known to whistle, Wendigo, all these sorts of things. Did Jen? I feel like that's something to do with gin too. You know, I don't know too terribly much about the gin, And they seem like they have all sorts of different traits associated with them.
1: Yeah. I feel like whistling was something from one.
0: All right. Anyway, sorry. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it at all. Um, and I, uh, some people will even say that, like, skinwalkers will mimic people's voices and whistle at them. So it could be a number of things. But whatever it is, you definitely don't want to mess with it. Was this trail close to the Virginia
1: Skinwalker Ranch from previous episodes?
0: You know, I have no idea exactly where it was. Let me scroll through the comments and see if I can get anything on that. No, no direct location on that one. But yeah, there were a couple of other things in there, like the forest going eerily silent. You'll hear that a lot with both Sasquatch and Wendigo, as well as certain other things, possibly. Yeah, but the
1: Sasquatch normally wouldn't have just left the food. They don't normally like human food.
0: Yeah, um... And another thing that, that kind of points towards Wendigo is the sound of, uh, like, his voice sounding like it was being mimicked through, like, a TV speaker or something. That's very common. You can tell that they're mimicking, but it doesn't quite sound, uh, it doesn't quite sound correct, as if it sounds a little electronic. And I actually had this situation the other day. Uh, I was just coming home from the store. It was just getting dark. Uh Or getting to be pretty dark. It was twilight. And my buddy Josh and his friend are sitting on the front porch of my house. And they're just sitting in silence. So I'm walking up to say hi to them. And I start hearing this thing behind me. I don't really know how properly to describe it. Other than it had a very kind of irregular croaking type sound. And it sounded, had that sort of electronic feel to it. As if it was being played through like a, you know, like a kid's toy speaker, like something you'd get on a little action figure speaker, you know, but it was loud and it was in the tree directly across from my house. And that's one of those trees that has a lot of, a lot of leaves, a lot of leaves. It's very bushy. Uh, So I couldn't really see up into the tree. So I walked directly up to that tree, looked up and the sound stopped happening. And then I start walking away and the sound comes back. And the two people on my front porch were just like, you are very brave for going to check out whatever that is. They had no idea what it is. I would guess if it was anything natural, it would be either a bird or a frog. But usually, the frog's croaks or the bird's whistles and chirps have a very uh, regular sort of uh, pattern to them and regular intervals. This was nothing like that. That's creepy, man. It was. I was like, dude, there's a wind to go up in that tree,
1: <laughs> which is great because I'm parked by that tree. Thanks. No, gonna...
0: well, it's not there anymore. I. Wish so badly that I had the presence of mind to take out my phone and record those sounds because I could have. Oh man! And they said they'd been sitting there for like twenty minutes listening to it. It it really did creep me out.
1: No, dude, that's creepy as crap. You're braver than me because, like, when I heard the knocking in the woods up on my property,
0: I did not investigate.
1: I just, oh yeah, I would love to go check that out. I if chopped I heard faster. That. That's all I did. I'm like, we gotta go.
0: <laughs> yeah, and yeah, well, maybe I'm just stupid but uh, I have my curiosity gets the best of me. There was one one more story I kind of wanted to go over before we wrap everything up, because when we had Cody on a couple episodes back, he had mentioned to me about the uh, feral people of the Appalachians. Just a knee-jerk reaction. I said, they don't exist. And that's not normally like me to say something like that, to be so flippantly dismissive. And so I wanted to kind of go into the uh, feral people theories. And talk a little bit about that with you. So generally the, the stories go, uh, the lore that's been created around the feral people of the Appalachians is that uh, after the civil war, some of the soldiers were so uh, mortified by what they had seen that they started to go a little crazy and they ran off into the mountains, to get away from the civilization, possibly to get away from the uh, inhumanity that they had witnessed people are capable of. And uh, as they lived out there, they ended up living for generations and generations, uh, losing all form of uh, language, aside from possibly like clicking and, poppies, clicking and popping noises. And nowadays it's rumored that there are little enclaves of feral people out in the deep wilderness who will abduct murder and, you know, terrify hikers. I've never really had any sort of substantial proof that such a thing does exist, which is why I don't really lean towards the idea that they do. Uh, but I also want to be completely clear that it is very much possible that there are tons of ragtag mountain men out there who are just sort of living a secluded life, uh, you know, hermits up the mountains.
1: Well, yeah, just like that community uh, we talked about that when we had to cut it out last time, was uh, that community in North Carolina where they've all just left society and like gave up everything and they're just living in a little commune together, uh, just not using anything modern, just going right back to their roots, mm-hmm. cultivating the land, doing everything themselves, and no one even knew they existed. They just got stumbled upon by like some hikers or something like that.
0: Yeah, that is a really cool story, uh, and it kind of reminds me of the uh, the movie The Village. There's a little secluded town, and you know the the people. Well, kind of a spoiler alert here, but people who had organized this town had also spread rumors that there were monsters out in the woods and that no one's allowed to go out into the woods. Uh, And, of course, these people just kind of stick to this town and never leave, and they kind of live this little happy Amish lifestyle. But the feral people stories that you hear generally sound a lot more like uh, the hills have eyes or wrong turn, really freaky, like inbred mutant type people. Uh, and that I don't really think is that true. Of course, there are inbred people out in the mountains, but it's not like they're completely cut off from civilization and they're out going on murderous rampages. Just, uh, you know, maybe a Says little... Says you. <laughs> well, I don't want to make any absolute claims here, but uh, one story that people really like to use uh, to prop up the feral people theory is uh, a story that's been taken very much from uh, David Politis, Missing 411. And that is the story of the disappearance of Dennis Martin. Oh, yes. Okay. Do you want to present that? Yeah. So what what
1: we're looking at is uh, the Martin family, along with a lot of members of the community, all got together on Father's Day 1969 uh, for like a big picnic and get together and having a great time. Dennis was six years old. And it was right near the Tennessee-North Carolina border. Um, It was a Martin family tradition. So, like, it's something they'd been doing for ages, all getting together. So, William Martin and Clyde, his grandfather, and two boys that were part of the family, uh, started across uh, Katie's Cove and hiked to Russell Field, uh, where they camped overnight. Uh, Afterward, they made their way to uh, Spence Field, where they met another family with young boys, also named Martin. Uh, It was late in the afternoon, and the boys were enjoying each other's company. They were all laughing, joking, having a great time. And uh, Dennis was wearing a bright red shirt, like fire engine red, when his brother, along with two other boys that they had just met, decided to play a prank on the relaxing adults uh, in the Spencefield area along the Appalachian Trail. The boys weren't especially sneaky with the prank. The goal was to hide behind the adults and then pop out and surprise them. However, the adults knew that the boys were up to, and, you know, they decided to spook them in return. They watched the three boys uh, go one way and sneak back through the bush. They watched as a six year old Dennis that has a bright t shirt on sneak off in the, in the other direction, and uh, for all intents and purposes, off the face of the earth, basically. Uh, the boys performed their prank all in good fun, and then Dennis didn't pop up uh, from the other angle. Uh, William, his father, got up to look for him, and he was just out of sight. He couldn't have been gone, like, blink of an eye. Like, he was gone, like, five minutes. Uh, and so it was kind of supposed to be like a flanking maneuver where the boys came. Those kids came from one side, and and he came from another.
0: Pincer attack.
1: Yes, the pincer attack. You know, eventually, the father ran back up the trail towards Russell Field, hoping the boy had gotten turned around uh, and had gone in the wrong direction and the others started combing the area, but no one could find anything. Clyde eventually hiked out to the park uh, ranger station, but he didn't get there till like 9 p.m. And by then, all of a sudden, a massive storm had started drenching the whole area and uh, just dumping rain, and the temperatures dropped down into the 50s. Uh, the next day, you know, the search was still hampered again. It rained 2.5 inches that day, and then it had a dense fog also. Um, but they were trying to spread the word and a man that a missing, a boy was missing in the area. And a huge response came up. Um, and so they're searching and they're searching. And uh, honest to God, it got so big that they started stumbling over their own their own tracks and everything.
0: If I remember correctly, it was about 1,400 uh, search and rescue, basically. You had Boy Scouts of America out there. You had local search and rescue, volunteer search and rescue. National Guard and 71 Green Berets. 71 Green Berets. And Green Berets don't work missing people. Missing people they cases. don't. Uh, and they would not communicate with the other searchers.
1: Yeah, and then, uh, what, they even had helicopters fly in, too, and we're doing aerial searches, uh, looking down at the ground. Uh, But with so many searchers and everything, everything just started trampling over, and everything was wet and muddy, so, like, any clues that would have been there was lost. But when uh, Dennis—the week that Dennis would have turned seven that week, the searchers exhausted themselves to no avail. There were boy-sized footprints of someone wearing Oxford shoes, like Dennis had been wearing— and the other foot was bare, so he was missing a shoe. So one foot was the type of shoe he was wearing, the other one was a barefoot. But family members said that that it was too big to have been Dennis, uh, and searchers were skeptical. His area had been searched by Boy Scouts previously who had left footprints all over the place. Um, a single sock and shoe was found, but it wasn't 100% sure if it was the right type or size for uh, for Dennis either. Um He was six years old and when he got lost. He was never seen from again.
0: And on that same day, uh, there was another family hiking, uh, the Key family. Yeah, the Keys. And they had asked the park rangers where they could go to spot a bear. Uh, So the park ranger pointed them to some place that was sort of off of the beaten path. He said, there's a very good likelihood that you and your family will be able to see a bear down here. So they hiked down there. And... Like I said, about five miles away from, from the exact spot that Dennis Martin went missing. They ended up hearing some screaming coming from the woods. And so the family's looking all over. Where does the screaming come from? The kids say, look, look, there's a, there's a bear right up there on the hillside. And the father looks and he says he sees something that looks kind of large and furry screaming at them. And it looks like it's trying to hide from them as well behind a tree. And he said it had something red slung over its shoulder. So people assume that whatever this was, was a, a feral human that had kidnapped Dennis. I lean way more towards Sasquatch. That sounds like Sasquatch behavior. And they said it was in fur. So of course, a mountain man could be wearing furs, but something big and screaming like that. Very much Sasquatch behavior. Oh, absolutely. And we have legends from the uh, natives way gone, way back of these people of the forest, or, you know, the big hairy man running off with children and women. And just about any just about any tribal culture, some of them have different stories of these creatures, but a lot of them have that legend of these things being kidnappers.
1: Well, yeah and there's also a lot of if you dive deep into the sauce of the uh the old reddits and uh their detectives and conspiracy theories there's whole theories that um this whole missing four one one phenomenon is a either being covered up by like either the authorities whether it's the national parks than that keep tourism driving uh there's been theories that the f b i and the military know that either feral people. Or uh, Sasquatch uh, are behind a lot of these. and that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's also the old theories of like alien inductions and everything like oh, that. Of course. but but to go along with like what we're talking about, it's definitely more t- leans towards either feral people or um, or Sasquatch.
0: Now or go- dimensional rifts. Yeah. The faith folk. It, yeah. It could be a lot of things. And David Politis himself has come out and said he does not think that Sasquatch are behind these disappearances. And he is also a Bigfoot researcher. He did the Hoopa project. Uh so he he is definitely in the know on some of these things. Um but for me, it does sound very likely that it would be a Bigfoot behind this.
1: Well it could, but I mean, like the Pharaoh, the, the feral not being quite so quote unquote feral, like these tribes of people out in the mountains that have just stuck to their ways since. Civil War, maybe even pre-Civil War, that just wanted to be away from civilization and live their own counter, their own, for lack of a better term, counterculture and what the way they believe their families and their their uh, <laughs> it's a word you got to use careful these days, but their clans of people of raising and, uh, and how their people need to be. Now the problem with this is, is when you have such small segments of people, it does lean towards inverting um a a complete 180 of this exact situation but a polarizing like ying to the yang where the shakers which was an offshoot of the quakers that wanted that (laughs) try to wrap your heads around this ladies and gentlemen the quakers weren't conservative enough (laughs) so the shakers went off and the shakers were almost like I don't know how else to put it. They were like the Pentecostal branch of, of the Quakers. They would go in full-body convulsions and speak in tongues and stuff like that. They were really deep into that, the day of Pentecost type stuff. But they weren't Pentecostal. They were They were Quakers, but they would get the shakes and everything. But they also didn't believe in sexual relations between people, which makes keeping the family chains a little hard. So they would adopt. Now, there's been theories and stories of not the shakers per se but like people in situations like this kidnapping children to keep the clan going to bring fresh blood into the families bring fresh genetics that hadn't been hampered down over centuries at least decades but centuries of just the same you know five families in a small area eventually everyone's your cousin uh, and that's where like a lot of the, that's, that's where you see like a lot of people in the Appalachia, especially like the Mennonite community, when the children become age to go to college, they don't do college here. Cause a lot of people, you know, in that time frame and that community base, that's where you meet the woman you're going to marry is like when you're in your early twenties, your late teens, early twenties. Well, in an area where the same 20 Mennonite families have been living for so long, that leads to some genetic abnormalities at least, and Virginia doesn't do blood tests for marriages anymore. So what a lot of the Mennonite families and a lot of the Appalachia families do is they send their children away. Like the Mennonite families in here send a lot of their kids to Ohio and the Ohio Mennonites send their kids to Virginia. Uh, that's why like Eastern Mennonite University has a very diverse population, but a lot of them aren't from here they're bringing people in from africa they're bringing people down uh from pennsylvania and they're bringing people from ohio where people in the valley go out and go other places no there's there's exceptions to every rules i know people that have lived in the area that went to emu graduated from EMU, stayed around but the norm i that that's almost like the minority instead of the majority on it is to the idea is to bring in more one, to help spread the religion in different areas, but two, to also keep away from some of the undesirable effects, which would lead back to, sorry, the long you know, set of loopholes, but bringing in that this could have been a kidnapping from a feral tribe that saw a small child that was by itself. is was like, this is an opportunity. Because, I mean, a six-year-old, as scary as it sounds, isn't going to put up a fight for a full-grown man, heck, even a full-grown woman. Like my mom still whipped my ass <laughs> when I was at age. Yeah. No problem whatsoever. Um, but you know, uh, and like the Key family said, they saw a large person uh, that shrieked at them. And um according to some of the reports I read, uh Harold Key said that the creature, the person that that I whoever the identity of this thing was, uh, was definitely trying to keep their distance away from each other. like As they would try to see what in the world was going on, it was trying to avoid them. Yeah. And that's why it was shrieking and everything, and it took off, and it took off with a, um, with like you said, uh, something big and red draped over its shoulder. It also kind of reminds me of the Eaters of the Dead, coming from the old German folklore. So it's kind of like offshoots off a Beowulf. It's what um, 13th Warrior, with Antonio Banderas,
0: Oh, I haven't seen it, but this sounds incredibly uh, interesting.
1: Oh, my gosh. Okay, so Eaters of the Dead is based off an uh, old—it's, like, stories that were written based as, like, offshoots of Beowulf and, like, kind of shadow that. They're not exactly the most original tales, is what I'm trying to say, Uh, and with lack of vernacular. Uh, but um, So the Eaters of the Dead uh, were raiding these Viking villages and— and what they were, they were called the the Vin, and these people were thought to be demons or creatures or something like that. But they were feral humans in the book, and they, uh, you know, and they would they would they would raid the villages at night, and they'd carry off their dead. You never you never found a body of the Vin, um, and you guys can watch Thirteenth Warrior. It's absolutely amazing movie. You guys should watch it. Um, um, but uh, along with these Vikings. It's a very long story, but Antonio Banderas is, uh, as, as his term in the movie is an Arab that had been, uh, that had been dishonored and sent to be a person, uh, you know, like kind of like a traveler and an emissary. And he gets roped into having to be part of this quest to go fight the Ven. Oh, that sounds really exciting. Oh, it's so good. And Antonio Banderas is amazing. And like, uh, a lot of like C-level actors are in it. Like I I couldn't tell you their names. But like the guy that played Baytak in Defiance, he's one of the Vikings and stuff like that. I mean it's just it's just it's a great movie. Uh great B movie, top shelf, top to bottom. But like these these Vin, they, they wrapped themselves in bear fur and they they made weapons uh there were clubs that had bear claws on it and wrapped them in bear fur. So they they wanted you to think they were bears. Okay. Um and they they would come and they'd kill people. They'd always take the heads. They'd kidnap the children um and they just gnawed and they ate gnawed and ate on the dead bodies. Huh. Which is why the book was uh, the book that the movie's based off is the eaters of the dead. But that brings me back around to like it's not an unheard of thing in like the mountains of like Germany and Norway and, and, and the Northern Europe for like these story you know, every story has a kernel of truth. Mm. So, and a lot of Appalachia were people from, were dramatic that came in Scotch, Irish English, of course, uh, that's where the hillbilly came from. Yeah. But like we talked about last time, it was a melting pot and there was a heavy influence of dramatic tribes and Scandinavian tribes, oh, yeah. because it was the mountains. It's what they were used to. And they were used to hunting and bear, and they were used to being away from things. Now, this was down in southwest—you know, this is down, like, Tennessee, North Carolina, so, like, around the Cherokee area of North Carolina and stuff like that, but still in the mountains, still in Appalachia. And so, it's it's not entirely— completely reaching to say that this couldn't have been not so much a feral tribe but a tribe of people that wanted to be away from everything else and continue living their lives the way that maybe their ancestors had and things like that and not take on technology there was people that when electricity was invented thought this was going to be the doom of all mankind yeah it's it's crazy what some people do to fight science to fight everything that comes to have came to make your life better whether it's television whether it's ma- afraid that your your soul is going to be sucked in by a, a f- getting your photo taken whether it's electricity whether it's you know I'm not trying to get political, so I'm trying to dance a very thin line on things that may or may not set people off, but lots of different things that just drive people off. And that's what's caused these people, like in the the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, just to break off and do their own like little tribe thing right. and everything. So these people could be doing their, their damnedest to have left the crazy world that the Civil War had formed— a brother killing brothers, you know, cousins fighting each other, you know, people of their own country fighting each other, and the horrors that happened in that war on both sides, and prison camps and everything else like that, and say, we're going back, and we're just going back in the woods, and we're going to live like our ancestors lived, and we're going to fight, we're going to do what we need to do to keep the tr- the clan and the tradition going, and so maybe they just kidnapped
0: kids to keep it going. Yeah, I think it's certainly plausible. Uh, in this particular case, I'm still not leaning towards feral people, but I do think that there are uh, nefarious actors out in the woods. Yeah. Certainly. And some of them could be these little breakaway kind of tribe, clan, whatever you might want to call it. Yeah. Um, but it, I kind of wanted to go back and plug David Politis. Uh, if you guys want to find out any more about his missing 4-1-run research, he researches all the national parks and the missing persons cases therein and finds the ones that are... Pretty much inexplicable, and sort of tries to draw lines as to uh, you know the commonalities between these things. And the man is incredibly intelligent. He's former SWAT, former police investigator, used to work in IT, lots of different stuff. He's he's very well credentialed, uh, so you can find him pretty easily. I'm not sure what his YouTube channel is called, but he wrote a series of books called Missing 411. You type that in on YouTube, you're certain to find him. Named David Politis. he has the CanAm Missing Project, which is what that Missing 411 series of books came out of uh, all that research in the can Missing Project. And you were saying earlier how it seems like people have formed this theory that the uh, Department of Wildlife and things like that are, are doing some sort of cover-up because he got absolutely no help from them. Yeah. They actively try to make his research as hard as possible. <laughs> All right. So that takes us to the end of another episode on Appalachian witchiness and high strangeness up in them, our hills. Bill, I'm really glad I was able to get you back on for another episode. It's always a pleasure talking with you, man.
1: Oh, yeah, man. I know. I love being part of the odd Virginia family. Uh, I can't look. Can't wait for some of our future field trips we were uh, planning today. You guys hold on. We're going to have some great stuff coming up real soon.
0: Oh, yeah. Lots and lots of good stuff in the future. And if anybody out there has a story of their own that they would like to share on the show, please send me that email at, oddvirginia at protonmail.com. Uh The more stories I get, the more the show grows, the more stories we can get after that. Right. The more outreach we can do, because uh, at the moment, listener base is still small. So go ahead and share the show with anyone you think might be interested in. Uh, such a thing give us a, a like and a subscribe if you're on youtube uh a review on apple podcasts or whatever because uh, the more w- momentum we get the more we're going to be able to get more stories on here for you guys so thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of i virginia stay odd yee